0: You have a two-step process. (laughs) Step one, overhaul the labor market, the housing market, and the criminal justice system. Step two, redistribute wealth. Step three, equality. This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Douglas, that like to debate about investing content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing.
1: Uh, How you doing? I'm good, man. How about you? I'm living it up.
0: Living it up. We got Valentine's this weekend. On Monday, we got a Super Bowl this weekend. Just so much to look forward to.
1: So much to look forward to. (laughs) (laughs) And there's the pod. I look forward to the pod. Oh, of course, of course. The glory, the glory that is glory that I is. I think I look forward to listener mail actually. Mm. Well, you know, so
0: uh, we talked about Meta. We've dropped Meta a few times, but we talked about how Meta is getting hit lately, right? Yeah. We got some listener mail from from Henry this week. It's a tweet from Aaron Levy, who's the CEO of Box. So Aaron Levy is just hilarious. By the way, I can tell a little short anecdote there, but uh, Aaron Levy is hilarious. But what this tweet is, is so someone tweeted out how Facebook, sorry Meta, gosh, fell below uh, six hundred billion dollars in market cap. Yeah. And in the uh, congressional hearings, like all the the stuff they're putting together at Congress is saying that that's the threshold for when like they care about what you're doing with regard to uh, like, interest, uh, anti-trust, I don't know about like, that. I... Stuff. Yeah. So anyway, so someone tweeted that out, and Aaron Levy just tweeted out: Zuck is always three steps ahead. <laughs> And I, I just, I, so he's, he's like a really funny guy, but he, his humor is like typically like a, like you could take it seriously, but it's also, you know, kind of a joke, yeah. but uh, it is the, if you follow the thread, so we can retweet this, if you follow the thread down, it is like a mix of people being like, he's so brilliant, like best operator ever. And, you know, uh, but anyway, I thought that was great. Thanks for sending that in. Um, it's hilarious and a good follow up so
1: well hold on i got oh, a tweet about the metaverse it ties right in oh go for it just spent 25 minutes waiting for my doctor to figure out how to join a zoom call after two years of this i'm sure the metaverse is going to happen
0: right <laughs> there it is yeah we can't even we can't even figure out how to click the enter the zoom <laughs> button man this is going off of what we talked about how like linden lab a second life has been trying this for yeah, 20 years it's been around right? for 20
1: years yeah <laughs> Anyway, fishbowl time. Where should we go? Oh, I think you have some knowledge to drop if I remember correctly. Oh, you want the follow-up.
0: Okay, I'll do it. Yeah. I'll do it. So last week, I was talking about how it's important to stay invested and looked at about 20 years of historical returns from VTI, which is Vanguard's total stock market index. And the way I looked at it was I said, if you start taking away the highest return days day by day, you start to lose a lot of your return and skippy rightfully was like well we got to look at the mirror of that as well like what if you get out of the market and you miss the lowest return days like what happens then so i went back and took a look and it is the mirror effectively so you're right to ask so what happens and i won't give as many stats i gave last time but if you if you're out for the lowest return day you gain about 13 percent more return (laughs) if you're out for the top 10 you you gain 131 percent basically more return so it is nice. it's it, you start to reverse it now i still stand by like the rationale for showing that is like who knows what the heck days you're gonna <clears throat> you're gonna yeah. miss out on um and so because many of these days both the lowest and the highest happened in 2008 over that 20 year period like many of them and so you're just like you know double dutch which day am i getting into or getting out of or you just stay in and reap all the rewards
1: yeah that's what i was gonna say i mean they're There's no real way to dodge the drawdowns without missing some of the um, massive gains and vice versa, because sometimes it's the market overreacting to, you know, quote unquote news, but it's just the way the panic happens. So, but it's interesting, isn't it, that the, I mean, missing the bottom 10 days, like has such a drastic impact um it's nice to prove that hypothesis so that's what i thought would happen but i wasn't really sure yeah
0: and it kind of i you know i was saying stay invested is like the takeaway that i would have but even the the other thing that we've like discussed is how how little i'll call it little things make a big difference meaning here like there are small volume of stocks that make up a lot of returns there are fa- small volume of days that make up the highest returns There are small volume of days that make up the lowest returns yeah otherwise things go back and forth it's like it continues to fascinate me, that fact. Like, it is, we get these big booms, big busts. Most of the time, nothing happens, right? Like a net, 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 nothing happens. But yeah. Then, yeah, it's really fascinating. I love this stuff.
1: Well, I mean, think about it. If on average, uh, the stock market's up somewhere around 10% a year, um, and it can be between 7% to 10%, depending on what we're looking at, time frame and stuff, right? If you have one day that goes up 2 to 4%, like <laughs> that's yeah. a huge yeah, chunk of you're a- told against for the year. It's crazy.
0: Yeah. Oh, wild. Wild. All right, where should we go next?
1: This is just another great example of you never know what you're going to get on the Skippy and Dougal show, right? Um I found this in the New York Times this week and I just think this is fascinating. But I will turn some of this into a quiz Duggles. How long is the typical semi in the United States of America? Like the truck itself? Uh, the uh, the uh, forty feet uh, tractor trailer. What do they call it? The thing they're pulling. Forty feet, fifty three feet. I thought you'd know that one. You you need a road trip more. <laughs> Almost all- <laughs> specifically with a fifty three foot. Almost all the containers say fifty three feet. I don't know, oh, man. I'm sorry. So we got these guys and girls driving driving around fifty three feet long containers all over the U.S um five years ago we told them all this was a horrible job and they were going to be replaced by robots it seems at least like the wall street journal seemed to do that and then the last 18 months Douglas, we've been saying where are all the truckers we need more truck drivers this is horrible our supply chain is wrecked um what's going on here so here's a few facts um any guess how many times around the world your average trucker drives in a year figuratively of course oh okay uh three it's five they drive four to 700 miles a day for a a typical yearly total of one hundred twenty-five thousand miles it's a lot man wild oh my goodness crazy through you know through traffic and weather and everything else um typical work week is about 65 hours of driving and they're on the road 300 days a year like i don't know the best way to say this because i want to be articulate but if i'm working 65 hour weeks 300 days a year i think i'm going to be worn out at the end of the year man that's a lot yeah
0: is that how far off from your normal work schedule is that (laughs)
1: actually true i guess i think of like being on the road differently than if i'm driving for for 65 hours a
0: week 300 days a year i'm 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 just i'm not like i couldn't i could not do that like mad respect to the people that can i could not do that that's what i mean to say actually
1: it's a different type of
0: work lactic acid in my legs i don't know or whatever my
1: back would probably (laughs) be hurt my back would be done i i like wouldn't be able to walk after the third week um any guess on how many truck drivers are women 10 percent Good. About 7%. And bring it home with annual pay. When we, we like 45 ish, 50 ish. I really thought this was like 75, 80, but no. According to this article, it says median annual pay of a tractor trailer driver who are typically paid by miles is about $47,000 as of May 2020. Man. Now, right now, you can get a signing bonus of around 100K, but you're not assigning bonus of 100k. Or, sorry, I misspoke. <laughs> uh, a signing bonus of 10k. Uh, a signing bonus of 10k. Um, you're not in the upper echelon of yeah. earners. Um, and that's a lot of time. Like, just that, you know, if you're on the road 300 days a year, you're effectively traveling 300 days a year. The uh, professions I'm. Ast- used to in my daily life that travel that much are more consulting and you're rewarded for it yeah um, sales that kind of thing yeah they're right business development i don't know just just random yeah. facts that i found interesting and i'm processing so thanks for dropping <laughs> crazy that. and going to your the shortage piece that you
0: brought up earlier it makes me think i read this uh this atlantic article this week that was talking about something completely different but it was talking uh, about how. We've seen that letterman uh clip the letterman uh, bill gates clip from the mid 90s yeah that sent around right so it brought that up and how it's like no one believed in the web in the mid 90s look at letterman because because letterman's everybody i, guess. I mean and letterman then, was
1: having fun too yeah, but exactly yeah. yeah i mean he's letterman <laughs>
0: yeah and then uh and then i was saying so now look at how people are treating web3 right if people didn't so analogy people didn't believe in the web it took off. People don't believe in Web3. If you don't believe in things, they take off. <laughs> they take off. Always. Yeah, they take off. So anyway, so but I bring this back because of the whole trucker shortage thing you brought up is like, you never know where trends are going to end up going because it was five years ago, right? When people were like, get out of trucking. It's going to be automated. Like where are the truckers? And now, yeah. oh, sorry, uh, why are you truckers? And now they're, where are the truckers for what you were saying? You just never know what the like the environment, economics, etc., is going to end up bringing, and so it might have seemed like an obvious bet a few years ago to bet on. There are like autonomous trucking, right? Organizations yep. like that are building those, and I'm not saying that they're bad ideas to invest in, but it like probably seemed obvious to people back then that by now, they would be everything, right? Yep. Like we, they'd be everywhere. It's it's hard to predict this stuff. All right, um, I'm gonna dip in. Is that cool? Yeah, if I dip go in? for it, please. Yeah. I want to dip in and talk about the former mayor of Stockton. So his name is Michael Tubbs, former mayor of Stockton. And he, the reason I want to talk about him is because he is a big proponent of guaranteed income. And uh, he launched his organization this past week called End Poverty in California. And we've, uh, we've discussed inequality a good amount in the pod. Um, so I, I found this interesting. I was reading this Fast Company article that, uh, that introduced Michael Tubbs to me. And then it took me down a little bit of a rabbit hole. So I'll talk a little bit about uh, the the pilot that he ran when he was mayor of Stockton. And then I wanna drop a couple more pieces of, of info and then I wanna get your reaction. So when Michael Tubbs was the mayor of Stockton, he ran this pilot that was a guaranteed income pilot. And what they did was they distributed $500 a month for 24 months to 125 people. The It was unconditional, it was like, you can get the money, you can do whatever you want with it, right? Uh, no strings attached and the people that it were, was given to were uh, randomly selected yeah. right so they were randomly selected but they had to be from uh, neighborhoods where you were below like the median income um, in stockton and so that was that's the pilot makes sense yeah cool so a couple of the few a couple of the outcomes so they ran this for a year uh, recipients uh, obtained full-time employment and more than twice the rate of non-recipients Recipients were less anxious and depressed, both over time and compared to the control group. Recipients saw statistically significant improvements in emotional health, fatigue levels, and overall well being. And recipients had a greater ability to pay for unexpected expenses, which was particularly important as the research period covered, uh, concluded just as the pandemic began. So, we ran this for a year. They gave out 500 bucks and said, had some good results.
1: Mm-hmm. I'll pause there. Thoughts on guaranteed income? It's, it's such a. I mean, I'm not gonna give a soundbite here. It's such a complex thing. Um, I I would say I encourage people to experiment and get more data around it because I think uh, there's some potential there, but it's really hard to implement. I mean, I think it's really hard to fairly implement.
0: I I fully agree, and I I really enjoy seeing the the pilots that folks are running because this stuff is so hard. I'll give you I'll give you a little uh, piece of info or like quote I should say that shows how hard this is and then I'm going to drop a couple more pieces of other stuff that I've read that I think is interesting. Sure. Um so in the same Fast Company article they mentioned David Grusky or maybe David Grusky who's the director of Stanford's Center on Poverty and Inequality. So what this this uh, this remind what I'm about to say reminding me of you know uh, those memes that are always like Step one, do this. Step two, do this. Step three, profit. And like steps one yeah. and two are like, <laughs> you know. So this guy means well, and I didn't read much into this. So I'm just taking what Fast Company said. <laughs> but what uh what David Grusky or David Grusky said was that we have these racist institutions that are in our, our country. Um, he named the labor market, the housing market, and the criminal justice system specifically, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so he went, redistributing wealth is like a way for us to get out of inequality, but that's step two. Step one is overhaul those institutions. Uh, uh, Yes, sure. Like, so you have a two-step process. (laughs) Step one, overhaul the labor market, the housing market, and the criminal justice system.
1: Step two, redistribute wealth. Step three, equality. It's yeah, it's just a three step plan. Dude. It sounds pretty that's simple it. to me. I mean, that's it. I mean, if this is what Stanford's coming up with, then
0: <laughs> I, anyway, I'm sure that there's there's like more to that. But from the fast company article, I was like how is that the two pronged <laughs> approach that you just came up with, like overhaul very, and I, I'm look, let's let's work to like revamp the systems and make them, yeah. you know, more equitable. They should be like more that. fair like, and equitable. That can't be yeah. step one in a process where you're trying to get to something else, <laughs> like in your lifetime, especially. So anyway, so I, I thought that was interesting. Um, I'll bring up a couple more. Um, one, a pilot and then two, a book I read that I think is interesting on here for the for the listeners. So one this is a separate pilot. Uh, it's called Baby's First Years. Uh, and this pilot was nine researchers did this. I don't know where they were from. But what they looked at was the question of if you give like, basically low-income mothers different amounts of yeah. money, yeah. Um, how does that impact the lives of their children? This is a multi-year study, and they're only, as of last month when I, when I saw this, they're about a year in, so it's early. Mm-hmm. But what they did was they gave $333 per month to one group of mothers and $20 per month to another group of mothers to say, like, so they're, they're giving money to both. But what is the difference in the kids' lives is what they're measuring. Yeah. So one year in, what they found was, and I don't, I don't know what what's behind this, but one year in, they found that the people that were receiving three hundred thirty-three dollars a month, their kids had more high-frequency brain activity, right? So, yes. right, than the other mothers. I, that's like incredibly promising one year in, and also frightening because of how many like that the impact, right? That that has. it's
1: incredibly frightening, and it, um, so. Anytime we talk about some variation of universal basic income and you can tie it to uh, improved lives of young children, uh, if you actually run through the ROI on that, it's off the charts. Like, th- that is a no brainer in terms of, gosh, one of our first episodes, Doogles, we talked about government spending money in a way that's a little more logical and uh, yes. concerned with return on investment improving the lives of young children increasing a high frequency brain activity uh, number of words they hear nutrition levels sleep etc cetera, etc cetera. the payback on that over the course of the next 18 to 20 years is typically massive but for some reason because that payback takes 20 years to show up people have a hard time allocating resources that way
0: yeah it, it's it's so it's so powerful and to your point earlier just looking at more data, getting more data and looking at more data around this to figure out how to do it, I think is really important. I'm actually going to drop two book recommendations, not one, yeah. sorry. Uh, but I, you just made me think about a different one. So the one you just made me think about is a book called Scarcity. I may have brought that up on the pod before, I can't remember. But there's a book called Scarcity and you can guess what it's about. Um, if you can't, then, well, it's about scarcity. But what <laughs> they look at is scarcity from a variety of different angles. But but it's effectively like if if someone um, doesn't have access to something, right? It's like something is scarce in their lives. Um, it gives them tunnel vision. And so on the negative side of that, you're not able, like on the money side, you're not able to pay attention to other things, like how do I develop professionally? How do I thrive? Because you're trying to, because you're trying to survive, right? Yeah. On the positive side of that, they're saying. Scarcity can also drive things like innovation, right? Because you're so tunnel vision, you're so focused that like, I have to get this thing done, like it will succeed. And so anyway, but it talks about scarcity. I think that's interesting. And you just made me think about it from, from the kid's angle, even if you get beyond baby, right? If a kid is trying to be like, I gotta, I gotta go to school, um, then let's say you're 15 years old or so. Um, mm-hmm. I gotta hit work afterwards, because, you know, dot, 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 like now, you, what are you yeah. not thinking about? Like, how do you blame that kid for not being able to get the same grades and not it? Right. And it's a it's a cascading compounding effect. So I think scarcity. Great book. Check it out. The other book, good economics for hard times. Hmm. And this book, uh, which I highly recommend, they talk about UBI, universal basic income. And two of the the, the one thing I'll I just go read it because there's lots in here. Um, but when they talk about UBI, they say that oftentimes the people that will most benefit from programs when they're rolled out at scale are the people that need it most. Yeah. And the, the two primary reasons they bring up about this are they said one, it's because they don't know about the program or they don't understand how to use it. And so they, they looked at some studies in here where they had, I'm going to call them navigators. That's not what they call them, but they, they like did control groups where someone was just like, let's say a mass, um, some kind of mass campaign went out talking about a program. Like that's, that happens. Then you send out the mass campaign, you have people that like contact them and walk them through step by step how to use it. And it increases use like about, yep. dramatically, right? Because you just don't understand either that it's for you, that it exists, or how to use it. The second a big reason is they said that many people self exclude themselves. Like they're saying either I actually will be excluded, like I don't either I, like, yeah. I don't deserve it or um, I think one example they gave was it's, I'm probably I'm probably going to have to bribe somebody like to make this work like in the end um, or like it's not for me. Right. Or whatever it might be. And so those are the two big reasons they gave. But well, but I fun. think
1: it also goes back to scarcity. Like th- they're probably worried about other things, too, like paying the bills that week. So there's not it. There's tunnel vision that's not focused on how do I solve this problem long term or what possible resources available for me i mean you can parallel some of that to the corporate world your rollout of major initiatives can be um, hindered greatly if you don't communicate and in some cases do some hand-holding uh, to get people on board with the change
0: yeah change management is real it is real so a couple book recommendations um and then guaranteed income and uh is a a difficult thing i'm glad we're getting some more more data on it
1: yeah, me too. How, how am I going to keep up with all these book recommendations to I mean, I don't, know. Don't. I, I only got time for one book a week, maybe two. <laughs> I like that. We, we, as you
0: mentioned, we share like some of the same, you know, investment books, maybe, you know, some of the same books, but we also read
1: very different things. It's kind of, cool. yeah. Um, yeah. So, all right, dig in. Can you drop a, a soundbite for me about Europe? Oh, oh, joy to the world! I tell you. Oh my goodness! When you
0: sent this thing across to me this week, this is everything that is wrong with bubbles. Whether or not we're in one? Question mark. Not question mark.
1: I uh, just want to listen. Yeah. I just, I really just listen. Just listen. listen sorry,
0: just listen to this clip. Listen to this clip.
1: Europe always a nightmare to do business. America's the only game in town. It's just us. You want to put
0: million dollars to work? You're gonna buy a bunch of European companies? Why? Why? When you could buy Apple,
1: you buy Disney, buy Netflix, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Didia, Tesla. Tesla. The king. It's the only game in town. Tesla. The I king. Can't, I can't handle it. <laughs> How did he attempt to say Nvidia? Did he say like? NVIDIA? I think Nvidia? he just said Nvidia. Like, <laughs> I think he. I think he had to go
0: in for fractional shares because couldn't get the whole share. So, like, the, the <laughs> he end. Didn't get the end on the know, front. The, the, the N was dropped.
1: <laughs> I mean, like, uh...
0: <laughs> it's a, It's also the, like uh, if you, if you just hear the tone, of this video and just see it. You would not be thinking about he's talking about what he's talking about. Like he he says this as
1: if it's like absolute gospel, here. Like you can't n- nowhere why? else in the world can you make money, and it doesn't matter that the U.S. stock market is the second most expensive <laughs> in the world, and places like the U.K. are dirt cheap and primed to outperform. I mean, because according to Dougal's hogwash, mean reversion doesn't exist. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but. Like the thing, the tone in that is so interesting. Like, and this conviction, Wh- how, why? Like, why would we be the only place on earth that's allowed to make money? Does that make any sense? <laughs> I mean, it, it does from
0: like an ethnocentric, like America, America, America view. But it—it it is, the questions you just raised like is what, what gets to me. It's as if he sees someone, he sees someone that's about to purchase value stock not in the u.s and he goes whoa <laughs> did you know you could buy apple
1: tesla Amazon. tesla Tesla,
0: wait, tesla. <laughs> wait wait i can it's like like a, they, they didn't know like they only realized that they could get into uk grocery stores you know like that, that that's that's all they thought they were like oh tesco no tesla you know what i mean <laughs> like, yeah. oh okay
1: oh okay. just put an a on the end yeah, yeah they, uh, <laughs> so like yeah i mean does he know i'm just gonna ask a a question or two like does he know that the japan stock market was like 44 of the world market capitalization in 1989 and that did not mean that japan was the only place to invest for the rest of your life like that was a good time to invest in america if you ended that question with does he know i'd go no (laughs) like no,
0: no matter what else this this takes us back remember the clip that we played a few months ago with the guy that was talking about upstart and they said, yeah. what do they do for? And these, if you, if you go to, I'd say maybe I don't, I'm not going to go as far as say the average American, cause I don't know, but probably the average American, at least the average investor and asked what these companies do. They probably know if you go to him and go, <laughs> what does Tesla do? He'd probably be like, uh, I'm, you're breaking up. I think I'm having <laughs> audio issues. It, it, this is, this is dangerous. Like just dangerous in my mind i tell you that
1: much it, i mean we we need more soundbites the show would be more popular if i made up ridiculous claims and we uh, <laughs> threw them on the social medias here what to to grab onto this thread though the european
0: value piece is i've been trying to like off and on throughout the last 12 months basically been trying to figure out if i were to get into european value like what would be the best ways and i haven't found any good avenues mostly because like i think if you for investment firms that are investing in the country in value it becomes a lot easier but i've been looking at things that are traded like either individual stocks or otherwise that are traded in the on the u.s markets that also are good representations of european value i haven't been able to find a lot i don't know if you have have Uh, looked i did
1: a cursory look too and didn't find anything that uh screamed but We have a a really smart listener in Paris who does some value stuff. Uh, And I forget his name at the moment, but if I can send a listener shout out, Uh, if you can shoot us some good uh, European value recommendations to the mailbox at SkippyDougals or DM on Twitter at SkippyDougals or hit Gmail, SkippyDougals at gmail.com, it'd be appreciated. Because I know there's more than, there's a bunch of guys in Europe that probably know this better than we do.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm sure, and it's uh, it's U.S. traded like European stocks, I think, and it, it, it part of it might be that they mo- like there's a very strong chance because it's not my world that I just don't know about them. Like that's probably like one. Two is I'm curious as to whether the European markets are mature enough that some companies just don't end up coming over here to trade, whereas in some of the places like when I'm trying to buy like a Brazilian stock. Right, or even china hasn't had as mature of a of a market outside of hong kong right before and so they've come over to to trade in the yeah. us I, I wonder how much this isn't traded here too but anyway yeah shout out there because it'd be great to get some research I, recommendations
1: i did no i did spend a little bit of time on like trying to buy value-based FTSE 100 or some of that stuff or the euro 600 and there's some stuff but nothing that really satisfied my needs to your point the global X ETFs, sorry, I'm like deep in the weeds. A lot of times we go to these emerging markets and have like, there's like a Greece ETF, right? But it seemed like that was less prevalent for some of the more developed markets in the UK. And it probably just means I missed it. Especially when when you get down to
0: value. Because one of the things I did was I looked at, um, we we are very much in the weeds, but enjoy because it's about to happen. (laughs) Um, I would look at it was a Franklin Templeton, I think, has a UK ETF. There are a couple of UK ETFs. So I went in there and looked at the ETF itself and said, "This, I'm not interested in the whole UK market. Like that, yes. I, I don't want the S&P 500 of the UK. So then I went to their holdings and looked at, like what do you hold? And started trying to figure out if they traded in the US. And like the, they, most of them didn't. You get some of like large pharma and stuff. But I know there's got to be something out there. I just don't. I'm not familiar with. But um, yeah, but I've tried to do that, too come on European value come to me I'm like the opposite of, the, of this individual here right come to me European value come to me
1: well to to put a bow on that like I've I've said this three weeks in a row I love people talking trash about my stock picks I love people getting on their soapbox and screaming don't you dare uh put your money outside the US because the majority of my money right now oh is that true it, in in like a retirement account where i can't pick individual stocks uh the majority of my money is outside the us so i'm i'm there because it's cheap and i'm happy with everyone else uh waking up to that down the line i'm gonna set this as actually my alarm clock
0: from now on so i want to wake up to this guy saying tesla <laughs>
1: Uh, I want to pull something out of the fishbowl just to re- put a bow on something we've been talking about for a long time. It sounds like maybe, maybe, this would be way too logical, so I don't want to get your hopes up. Congress might move towards banning their members of trading stocks. Why wouldn't you? And they just should. Like the, I enjoyed the argument.
0: Thanks for bringing this up, because um, I, I wasn't thinking about bringing this up today. I enjoy the argument of the answer to my question of why wouldn't you as they we will decrease the quality of talent that we can get in Congress. First of all, show me the quality of talent that we got right now. Like, so step one, show me the quality of talent. It's tough Um, to
1: decrease the quality. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Like, like why wouldn't we? And it goes back, we brought this up a couple times. to when we had James McIntosh on the show, and he was like, as a journalist he's like obviously i can't sacrifice integrity to trade individual stocks but you have someone that's writing laws there was the a survey sorry i'm like jumping in here but i get no this is
1: great this is important stuff so
0: there was a survey where something like 75 percent of people said that they believe that people in congress should not be able to trade stocks because they have an advantage in the stock market yeah and to me that like i will say true and that misses the point They are they are like writing the laws of the country, like whether or not they have an advantage in the stock market over me. I'm indifferent toward, to be honest, I am not indifferent toward them shaping the legislation of the U.S. based on their financial interests. Like and not one person can't necessarily do that individually, but some folks have some power
1: to be clear i'm not okay with either of those things i don't there's no reason they should have material non-public information or however you want to classify it that gives them an advantage over me because that's ridiculous but then yes they're gonna throw naturally throw paragraphs and sentences in that say i hold this many million of x company and life they make more profits if we adjust this legislation so you're bound to craft legislation to make personal gains for them which is also why not why they're supposed to be making laws it's ridiculous it's it's really ridiculous and it should be fixed already and i just to go back to james mcintosh right Journalist for 20 some years the financial times the wall street journal clearly like very popular journalist too in a very influential and he came on the show and said, sometimes I write breakdowns that I know will effectively move markets. I'm, I, that's not a, his exact quote, but he's like, I, I work on a piece and I know that there will probably be some reaction to that piece. And I would never um, purchase, like, front run the stock. Like, that's unethical and illegal in my profession. And we can't even ask our lawmakers to follow the same code of ethics as him. I mean. Yeah. Ridiculous ridiculous yeah and going going
0: back to the talent piece too something uh, as i was looking at all this stuff that came to mind for me is i went maybe that's good not having having different talent i do think is good but also there have been discussions around whether or not um there should be like cap term limits you know so people aren't sitting in congress for like 40 years yeah i bet you that and i don't know whether that's good or bad i'm not a political scientist whatever right but I'll say that I bet you that if some if financial gain, if financial gain while in seat is restricted, mm-hmm. that peeps would not be sitting up in there for like 4050 years, right, if you weren't able to do some of this stuff. And I think that there's like, there's possibly secondary benefit to that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and. For those who don't want to go find the previous episode on this, I mean, go on any social media and Google Nancy Pelosi stock picks and there's going to be some account that tells you what her husband trades based on her information. And it happens on all sides of the aisle. It's not just Nancy, but like this is a real thing where people trade on their information because they clearly believe that there's inside information there.
0: What was that? It was either a, a insight or it was a twitter handle something like nancy pelosi is the whale like was like the name yeah of the, it's <laughs> yeah, something like that
1: it's, it's pretty crazy. no there's a bunch of them that's what i am said just oh there are a bunch of go them check it out now don't don't trade based on their picks or at <laughs> yeah, least yeah. that's my recommendation but know that this is a thing um and it needs to be rectified oh my goodness let's i'm going to dive
0: in for a quick hit here which is about year-to-date performance for stocks in general, what's getting hit? What's getting not? Because we've touched on that a good amount. Anyone that's following the markets this year uh, in any depth knows that financials and energy are like what's hot right now. I think there are mm-hmm. only actually two sectors that are in the green this year, and those are the two sectors. Like as a whole, yep. um, And so we know that, but for me, it didn't really click until last week. I was looking at the every Saturday, Stock Twits comes out with their top twenty-five of the S and P five hundred. So top 25 best performers, the S&P 500. I was looking at this last week and holy moly joly. This is like all energy and financials. So there were two organizations on here that were not, I think at last I looked at, this might be wrong, but something like that, right? One was Activision Blizzard because of the takeover, basically yeah. that it, it popped up. Otherwise it would not have been on here. And the other was Las Vegas Sands. Um, so casino and that, there also might've been a takeover there. Who knows? But anyway, but otherwise you got all these, these energy companies and, um, and financials and guess what's on the top of the list? Oxy. That's, that's right. Oxy, which Skippy convinced me not to buy about
1: two years ago. But Hey, shout out to my boy, Jeff at Oxy. Um, so uh, Oxy Carl icons in there, um, trying to do some activist stuff. I went through it, man. It just had too much debt for me, but it was, it was cheap. Um, it was intriguing. I'm not surprised it's at the top of this list. Yeah.
0: I'm, I'm, sw- I'm swinging my finger at you about you stopping me, but we, we've talked about this separately and actually I'm, it was the right move. Like I think, you know, the walkthrough that you gave to me is the right move um, because what you, it was kind of like a, you were basically taking the Dundo investor approach where, because we were, this is a, you brought up how you bought Exxon and I think it might yeah. be another one. Right a yeah. while ago. And the conversation you were having with me was one where, like, Exxon, Dundo Investor, sorry, it's Monish Pabri's whole thing, which uh, oh, is yeah, basically, okay. it's um like heads you win, tails you don't lose much, is like yes. his philosophy. And that was like what you were, when you were talking to me about Exxon, it might have been Chevron, or others. And you were saying, you're like, oil gonna do great things, right? Probably like at, at least the market set up so it very well could. And it's so cheap that like the downside is pretty well protected and there's upside. Whereas when I was thrown oxy your way, not the drug, the, um, (laughs) the stock here, when I was thrown oxy your way, you're like also upside downside is zero, like legitimately like potentially zero. So I still appreciate that walkthrough. I was just giving you a hard time,
1: but this is wild to look at this list. It's crazy. It really is crazy. So here's a few names on the list guys uh oxy Halliburton Exxon Marathon Oil Hess um Conoco Phillips Pioneer Natural Resources Discovery Phillips 66 Diamondback Energy Marathon Petroleum it goes on I mean uh but Dougal's oils at eight year highs and two years ago it was negative or very <laughs> close to zero depending Good. on how you do the accounting this was a no-brainer of a trade like it it just was um and i'm happy i rode i'm happy i rode this wave it's good work for you one other quick hit before
0: that you just reminded me of before we see what's next in your fishbowl going from negative to positive is this the european bond market got hit this week and so i'm reading this article about it it's because the european central bank as like a sudden change of heart according to the market as to raising interest rates. So I'm like, okay, yeah. you know, that happens. But I'd forgotten that when they were mentioning what they were raising from, it was negative 0.5%. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> like it was, it's kind of, there's, there's such a, it's, it's interesting to me that when we talk about raising interest rates and the impact that's going to have, and I do believe it will at some point have an impact, right. On things like earnings and debt and all that stuff. I do believe that when we talk about it, we forget that like before, when we raise interest rates, it was like raising interest rates to 5%, 6%, right. When you're talking raising interest rates from negative 0.5 to like 0.5, I mean, that's still, you still have no interest. Like there's, there's not, yeah. You know but anyway but i, I just think it's, it's really interesting our perspective is very different these days with regard to both inflation and interest
1: yep and we went deep down the rabbit hole if you guys haven't heard the james mcintosh conversation he had one of the most fascinating articles i've read this year which was about if government currency goes fully digital uh, what that might mean to the movement of rates on to, to a far negative uh, side because right now if rates get too low people are bound to take too low negative people are bound to take their money out of the bank and hold physical cash because at least it isn't decreasing in value um, if there was effectively very little to no uh, cold hard cash it could change the dynamics of how the all those equations work and you could make rates go Largely negative, which would encourage people to spend even more rapidly because if you're sitting in a bank, it's losing money. So um, if you want to go deep into the rabbit hole, we have done that for you <laughs> to mix reviews. Enjoy. Enjoy. Let's see. Diggle. Should we talk Spotify? Yeah, we get on Spotify. This is just one. Spotify has been in the news. The hustle again, creative, creative journalism right here. Uh, broke down some <laughs> stuff. US recorded music revenues. When did it peak, Diggles? You got a guess? 14. That was the low was oh, 14. Oh, oh, the peak ninety nine. Sorry. 99 was the high, right? what's going on in 99? Was like the not Microsoft much. Zune out? I mean <laughs> yeah. No, actually it wasn't even out yet. That uh, was on it. Wasn't. Clyde. Like it wasn't. Was it the w- iPod even out? Probably not. No, out it,
0: I think I don't even think it was anything it was more of, I think 99 was more of the peak, not because of something led to the rise,
1: but because Napster led to the decline. I think that's yeah. more of, of what it was. That's fair to say. Well, it, what I'm getting at is 99, the peak is probably actually going to like tower records and buying CDs. And then there became an alternative that, that so you, we went from 23 billion in uh, revenue in 99, all the way down to $7 billion in uh, 2004. That's the bottom of the trough. And that's Napster streaming, illegal downloading, everything else. Uh, The music industry really trying to find their way. Since the 2004 uh, trough, uh, that's what gave the music industry um, desire to work with streaming services like Spotify. So that effectively is like the birth of their business model, a way they say, we can share some of these revenues with you. If we don't make it easy for people to stream whatever they want, they're gonna illegally download whatever they want. So it's like the rebirth of the music industry from a revenue perspective. At least that's what I'm trying to articulate here. In terms of the global streaming landscape by paid subscribers, Spotify is the largest, and it's twice as large as anything else. It's 31% of the global subscription market, followed by Apple Music at 15%, Amazon Music at 13%, and then you have things like uh, Tencent Music and YouTube Music, and then a bunch of tiny little ones.
0: I didn't realize quite how large Spotify had gotten, and I also didn't realize that, when which i think you're probably about to get to when you look at their payout ratio compared to others to artists how far behind they are from other folks and speaking of napster this blew my mental capacities out the wahizi that the number one from a like an average artist payout per 1000 streams right the number one platform is napster to pay out artists $9.16 Spotify falls down at number six at $3.48 with Tidal, Apple, Deezer, and Amazon in between. Who would have
1: thought? Well, it's so it's crazy because I think of some reason I think of these royalty payouts or they, I feel like they should be structured like a credit card transaction fee or something. And there's like this going rate, you know, like it's 2%. Well, it's not that way at all. As you just mentioned, like... If someone streams on Apple music, they get paid twice as much as if you stream the exact same song on Spotify. And I don't claim to be an expert here. I believe that's because of all these are individually negotiated contracts pretty much with the music uh, companies. And of course, Spotify has economies of scale, so they probably get wholesale um, discounts on their pricing, but it's, really interesting how fragmented and different the market is here it is and you have the there's
0: the record label payout and the publisher payout separately and the artist ends up i mean unless you're one of the tippity tops the artist ends up just getting pretty squeezed uh in this whole process one of the data points they dropped is only two percent of spotify artists earn more than one thousand dollars
1: per year isn't Um, that crazy which is not a I lot mean, of percent. So basically basically 98% of all your artists on Spotify, the world's largest streaming platforms, make less than enough money to buy a new phone. I mean, like <laughs> it's not grocery money even. It's no, nothing. It's meaningless. Yeah. Like it's, it's it
0: Spotify is effectively kind of is just like meaningless. Um and It's, it's like Napster, it's free. Yeah. And as you you alluded to, but didn't mention explicitly before. A lot of where this is coming from right now is the Joe Rogan controversy, because folks are saying some version of Joe Rogan is spouting off at the mouth, right? According to what they're saying, like he's saying a lot of misinformation about COVID. Um, there were some racial slurs people brought up, and saying Spotify, you're paying him a hundred million dollars a year, like for yeah. to do this, and I'm India Ari, and you're not paying me anything, which I hadn't. I hadn't thought about India Arie in quite a while, but it was great to see her name pop up. Um, but but that's kind of what they're saying. They're like, why are you spending all this money there, and you're not you're not paying out the artists who are making your platform from their viewpoint. Podcasts also making their platform, yeah, right, uh, right now. But that's where a lot of this has come from.
1: So th- this is um, wholesale transfer pricing, and the problem with being a a distribution platform. We, we talked about platforms a while back too, Dougals, right? So Spotify has invested all, almost a billion dollars recently in uh, podcasting acquisitions from The Ringer to Dro Rogan to Gimlet to Megaphone because they want to own more of the content. And if you own more of the content, you have some more control over the transfer tr- pricing. And then you hope people pay your subscription fees to get the content you own, like the podcast, rather than the content you don't, like the music. Um, It's funny to me, well, not funny, but it's interesting that they didn't do the same push with creating uh, new music. Their push to own content has largely been in the podcasting space. It's probably easier, I'd assume, because music is like a, I guess they're both hit-driven businesses, but
0: you can see what the, the hit is Like music, you can't buy on the other side, right? Yeah, it doesn't right necessarily. I guess you could. They could become like a record label,
1: of sorts or something like that. But that starts to get buck wild, Uh, apparently. Um, But it it is that also seems to imply that you think the voices in podcasting that are relevant stick around for a longer period of time. Maybe Uh, maybe there's less uh, variability through that. Anyway, we'll put this article on the Twitter i think it's just a fascinating breakdown of their business model and it should make you think that it does Is that a wrap that's it guys hey hit us on uh if you want to become a premium some member to the show get episodes early and other uh, premium content we appreciate that there's also a one-stop shop to find us our twitter our gmail everything else skippydoogles.com. thank you and always rate and review we love it help people
0: come Thanks, everybody. Peace.